Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. But you want, there we are, you want the sound to work. You want the weather to work. You want the, the online to work. And what I realize is in all of us is this need to just control things. And I sense that because when things are out of control, I think something's wrong, something's not right, I'm not doing well enough. You know, if I just tried harder or did better, then I could get things under control. And that creates a frustration and anxiety in us. Don't you feel that? And I think in our nation and in us, as we go through this season, there's a lot of that wanting to be in control controlling messages, controlling how people respond. And also in this season, can I just totally confess to you that in this season I find more than any other time that people get frustrated with me. And let me explain what that means. Because so many of us have different ways of approaching things. And I've heard people say this to me, you know, pastor, the real churches are the ones that just open up. Pastor, the real churches are the ones that shut down. Pastor, the real, the real churches are the ones that get involved in protests. The real churches are the ones that don't get involved in protests. See, the real churches are the ones that know that masks are silly. The real churches are the ones that know that masks are important. And in this season, what I'm sharing with you is I find we get fixated on so many different issues. We allow these issues to be primary, and we forget that as we gather as the body of Christ, we are going to disagree on a lot of issues. But the reason we gather is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Savior of our lives and our universe. And we put our faith in him. And that makes us one in Christ. You know, Scripture says, I don't know if you realize this, and it says it a lot, keep the unity of the body. Keep the unity of the Spirit. You know why? Because it's so easy to lift up things other than Christ that create disunity. And I really sense in this season, as we go into election time and as the body of Christ moves out, we need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for the world. We need to pray for the hearts of Christians that we don't elevate issues above Christ. Because here's another thing I've heard in this season. Some people have said to me, hey, don't wear masks, just, just have faith, you don't need to live by fear. And yet when we get into an election season, hey, they say you need to be fearful. You need to be fearful because as we move in this election, we, it, it, what I'm saying is that so often we use fear and faith in different ways. Have you noticed that? And based on the issues that we're supporting or moving into, what we need to, to do as a church is to elevate Christ to elevate his word and focus our attention on who he is and what he wants for us. And so as we jump into this scripture this morning, here's what we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at the life that God wants us to live because we belong to him, because we've received the gospel and his new life has come into us. There is a new lifestyle we need to move into and it's not gonna look like the world It's not going to look like our current political system. It's not going to look like our current context or this moment in life. It's going to look like the kingdom of God, which means at times we're going to be walking in step with God, feeling in step with the Spirit. Other times we're going to notice that there's conflicts within us because there's passions, desires, 
that are incongruent with what God wants for us. So let's jump into this passage. If you wanna turn to 1 Peter, we're gonna look at 1 Peter. We're gonna pick it up in verse 13. 1 Peter chapter one, pick it up in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your mind for action, being sober-minded, Setting your hope fully, and I love this phrase, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on a father, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish, or spot. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that, Lord, though, though we wander, though we elevate frustrations, Father, though we find ourselves in places where we are out of sync with you, Lord, you are always patient slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Lord, you pursue us as a father who watches over his children. And Lord, you set boundaries, but in those boundaries, you discipline us with fatherly affections that drive us towards the best and the better. Father, you've given us the spirit to convict us, and you've given us one another to lift our eyes to you and to what is best. And so, Father, in this moment, as we, as we come to your word, Holy Spirit, would you stir in us affections for Christ? Would you lead us to that place where your word is living and active, and as it's spoken, would it bring life and transformation to our heart, our souls, our minds? Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the theme. Be holy because I am holy. Now, I have to admit to you, as a young Christian, I didn't like the idea of holiness. Because, see, I came to faith in Christ, and I had this pretty radical transformation in that moment, experiencing Christ. My story was kind of growing up in the Christian home, but not getting the gospel, not getting the grace of God, and then going to a Young Life camp at the age of 18, really experiencing Christ in a new and powerful way. In that moment, not only coming to faith in Christ, but be calling, being called into pastoral ministry, And that was all personal. It was this experience with God that made me alive, made me excited, made me want to tell others about Christ. And then I started getting the scripture and I found all these rules, these regulations. Be holy because I am holy. And the word holiness doesn't really show up a lot in our culture. And when it does show up, often it's associated with things that are not fun, not exciting, things that don't really bring life to us. But he's telling us that holiness, and we're going to discover some things about what it means to be holy. 
Holiness is not impersonal. It's not about a list of rules. It's not about keeping your room clean so that when dad shows up, he gives you something later. No, holiness is about a relationship with a God who is holy. Because as you read the book of 1 Peter, here's how it lays itself out. It starts with this idea that in his great mercy, he's given us new birth. God moves out into the world with enemy love. Meaning we were against him and in his mercy he has rescued us out of darkness, out of sin, into light. His very DNA and spirit has come into us. We are now awakened and alive to God and that's the new birth. Christianity begins with the new birth and it leads to a new identity. Now we saw it in this passage. It says, you know, as you trust your father, uh, th- though we may be going through this time where that's difficulty, we're, we're, we're supposed to see ourselves as exiles in the world, exiles and strangers, that our identity is we are citizens of heaven. We live according to the values of heaven. We live according to the ethics. We follow the king of heaven. This is how we move out into the world. But that new birth leads to a new identity, but it should result in a new lifestyle, a new way of living. And that's why he says in verse 13, it's this word, therefore. Based on everything I just said, Here's now how we should live. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. He says, be sober-minded, have a clear thought. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you'll see he'll do the same thing later on when you get to chapter 2. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all slander, But like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, so by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. The new birth that God has started in us, we now have to grow into. Now, what does that picture of holiness look look like? So I want to jump into this. Again, he says, you know, be holy because I am holy. And so I want to say that holiness, it starts first and foremost with whose you are rather than simply what you do. Holiness starts with who you belong to rather than simply what you do. See, when I thought of holiness as a young Christian, I thought it was simply about what you do, and it does. It refers to an obedient lifestyle. And yet it begins with this idea of who you belong to. Now, Peter in in this passage is actually quoting from the book of Leviticus. And what you'll find in the book of Leviticus is often there's this phrase, it'll say, holy unto the Lord. And when it says something's holy unto the Lord, it not only says that people are holy unto the Lord. I don't know if you notice this, it'll say tables are holy unto the Lord. That seems a little strange because tables, as far as I know, cannot be immoral. They cannot be moral. Say utensils. Clothing, food is holy unto the Lord. Days, the Sabbath is holy unto the Lord. So holiness is more than simple moral obedience. Holiness begins with this idea that we have been set apart for God. God is called holy because God is separate. He is unique. He is distinct from all other things in creation. And when we are rescued through faith in the gospel, God sets us apart as separate, as holy, as unto his own purpose. Because see, the opposite of holiness, think about this, is not evil. The opposite of holiness is common. 
Because to be holy is to be set apart for God, distinct and unique in the world. Now, the place that this first showed up for me in the realest way was when I got married. Now, let me explain why. When you get married, and, and many of you have gone through that ceremony, and the pastor's there, everybody's watching. You know, Actually, I'm doing a wedding today at 4 o'clock. It's pretty exciting. And a pastor gets up, and he says, you know, Jason, this woman right here, she's going to be your wife. And you're like, yep, yep, I know that. To have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for sicker, sick, sicker, for sicker, for sick, it was Texas, so this was in Texas, for sicker, for richer, for poorer, anyway, sorry. And then he said, and then there's the question, you know, do you take this woman? It's like, yes, I do. Now, in that moment, what I was saying is there's a lot of freedom I'm going to give up. And I don't think anyone in the audience thought I was a killjoy for accepting all these restrictions or look at this young couple. Why are they giving up so many options in the world? No, because see, to experience the depths of marital love, to experience love with my wife, there are certain things I give up because now I belong to her and she belongs to me. And see, when, when you see the Israelites at the Ten Commandments and you see them coming and here's Moses coming down Mount Sinai, we often see, oh my gosh, a list of things I gotta do. But the first commandment is, you shall have no other husbands before me. You shall have no other wives before me. What's happening at Mount Sinai is a marriage covenant. God is saying, you are mine, I am yours. This is what it looks like to have and to hold. Do not covet your neighbor's stuff. Do not have other gods before me. Do not slander, do not murder. Instead, honor the image of God in others to have and to hold richer and poorer. That's what's happening in that moment. God is saying to his people, you are mine and I am yours. I'm setting you apart as holy. As we move out into the world, we have to see ourselves first through our identity as set apart for God, set apart for his purposes as we move out into a world that looks very different from the kingdom of God, very different often from the values and the life that God wants for us. He calls us to move out into the world as holy. So that's the first idea. Holiness, I want you to understand, is intensely personal. But second, holiness, it means living for God in totality in each area of our lives. See, when God says something is holy and set apart for him, it's not simply set apart for him on Sunday or Saturday or just a tenth of it is set apart. Rather, it's all of us is set apart for him. In the same way, when you get married, it's not as if just an aspect of my life is married to my wife. And, you know, I, Melissa, hey, these things are just for me. I'm not going to tell you about them. You don't need to mess with them. You need, don't need to know about them. That's not a marriage, is it? No, instead, that's a lack of intimacy, a lack of trust. And likewise with God, God's not okay if you have aspects of your life where you say, hey, that's not for you. Oh, okay, that's great. I, I only, no, God wants all of you. He doesn't simply want a part of you in the same way that your spouse. They don't want to have secrets. They don't want to have areas of your life that are kept off limits. Likewise, God says, no, I, I, want, I want all of you. I want to love you, and I want you to love me with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, your strength. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul captured it this way. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, it says, you are not your own. 
You were bought with a price, and therefore we honor God with our bodies. He could easily have said, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, we honor God with our finances. We honor God with our careers, with our families, because everything has, belongs to him. He has purchased us, and we are now his. And he is saying, you are mine, and I am, I am yours. You are my bride, and I am your husband. And I want to know the totality. I want to know the fullness of who you are. Everything, everything you are, it belongs to me. So the question becomes, how do we develop holiness in our lives? Because what does that look like? First of all, it looks like intimacy with God. It, it starts with this identity. But in verses 13 and following, what he starts to do is he unpacks this idea of how holiness needs to really be a part of every aspect of our lives. So let's jump back in and pick it up in verse 13. Therefore, verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as obedient, verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Here's the first thing. There are three areas he describes. The first is the mind. The second is the will, meaning our obedience. And the last thing, we'll see this later on in verses 17 through 19, it's the heart. To be holy requires the mind, how we think. It requires the will, what we do. And then it requires the heart, our affections, what we set our heart on. And so again, verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Now, if you have the old King James Version, it's got this strange language that says, gird up, ready for this, the loins of your minds. The, that's why we have modern translations, because people would read that and say, what in the world are the loins of your mind? What he's saying, and here's the image, if you think of somebody in the first century, they didn't have pants, they didn't have socks, shoes, ready to run. Rather, they had to, if they're going to be active, to lift up their robes. And the loin referred to like your waist, your, your belt line. And they would literally take their robes and tuck them into their belt because they know they need to be prepared to move. They need to be prepared to run. They've got to move quickly. And he's saying when it comes to your mind as Christians that are set apart for God, we have to be ready to move. Sober-minded, meaning thinking clearly. Allowing our mind not to be cluttered by the things of the world, but rather to really allow our minds to be conformed to the likeness and the truth of Christ. We have to prepare our minds for action. And in fact, that language, it comes from the Old Testament. A lot of what Peter's describing is the story of Israel. And when Israel came out of Egypt and they celebrated the Passover, God said, when you celebrate the Passover, realize you're in a land that's not your home. So don't get too comfortable. Don't intermarry. Don't get so involved in what's happening in that place that you forget who I am. Rather, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, he says to the Israelites, he says it this way, in this manner you shall eat, and he's referring to the Passover, and he says, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. He's saying, I've rescued you out of Egypt 
You now belong to me. You're in a land that is not your own. You were purchased by the blood of Christ and you're moving into a place of inheritance. Peter is saying, you are like those Israelites. You're living in a land that is not your own. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. You've been given an inheritance. I want your mind to be ready for action. Because see, what happened was Egypt found its way into the mind, into the will, into the heart of the Israelites. They found themselves more connected to the place that they lived than the God they belonged to. And instead of seeing themselves as holy, they started fighting for what they wanted, for what was best for them in their moment in life. And in a sense, they committed adultery. And often you see, right, the prophets saying, you adulterous people. Why? Because their mind wasn't set on the things of God. Their will wasn't set on a passion for God's desires. And their heart wasn't committed to him. And the first thing he says we've got to do is have a mind that's prepared for action. Now, in this season, I want to share with you, I want to reveal something. There have been four passages over the last four months that have been central in my heart as we make decisions for this church, as we engage in this pandemic in this strange time. There are four passages, and here's the first one. It's Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 37, someone comes up to Jesus and says, hey, what's the most important command? And Jesus says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If you want to take the Old Testament and kind of get it into cliff notes, these are the two commands. Which means every time we see a command from God, we have to run it through loving God and loving people. So if God commands us, you know, not to be greedy, we run that command through how do I do that in a way that loves God? And loves people. Because on these two commands hangs the entire law. Now, that's the first one that I've kept in front of me. As we engage in this season, we need to engage in a way that loves God and loves our neighbor as, as we love ourselves. And then here's the second. And this is popular today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That in this season, many pastors have said we cannot stop meeting together. But we have to think and ask, what does that mean? Does that mean just simply opening all the churches? Is that what it looks like? And how do you run that command, remember, through what it looks like to love God and to love people? And often the people that we're referring to as loving are the people who do not agree with us, who do not believe the same things that we believe. When we take God's commands, and we may need to close that door, David, because I'm getting blown away here. Just like last night, you guys are getting a preview of what happened or a prequel, not a preview, it was a prequel, or sequel. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, man. I tell you, God's teaching me humility. 
That's what it is. Here's the third. Here's the third passage. 2 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And then when you look down at verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So we have love God with our, you track with me, heart, soul, mind, strength. Let us not give up meeting together as some in the habit of doing. Honor those who are in authority. Let us respect them. And then he says, verse 17, which is shocking when you realize that he's speaking about someone who is persecuting, murdering, martyring Christian. Honor the guy who's against you. And then here's the final one. And we'll see this in a couple places. The final command that's just kind of been in my heart, Colossians chapter four, verse five. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, letting your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, and you may know how you ought to answer each person. So he's saying walk with wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Here's how Peter captured it, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And yet notice the language, do this with gentleness and respect. Now let me share with you why these verses have been so important. Because here's what I've noticed, especially in this season in churches, among Christians, is what we do is we tend to elevate one verse. And in elevating a single verse, what happens is in some ways we ignore about five others. Because we say one thing is central and one thing is important, what we start to do is we ignore it's the meek that are going to inherit the earth. It's the poor in spirit who will experience the kingdom of God. We take a command of God, which is truth. We hold it up to such a degree that it's the highest standard. And then in the process of holding up one command, we disobey about 10 others. I don't know if you've seen this, but... Here's some ways that this plays out. Recently, I was listening to a a pastor, and he was saying, in this season, here are the three things that matter most to God. And he listed these three things, and I think he was referring more to this election or to this season. And as I looked at those three things, I thought to myself, are those the three things that matter most to God? Here's what they do. They, They do matter. And what he referred to is, and this is a new phrase for me, and I hope it doesn't offend you. There's this phrase called crotch Christianity. Have you ever heard that? Now, here's crotch Christianity, that Christians care too much about what happens around the crotch. And what we tend to do, I know it's kind of funny and silly, but it's, it's true. And we tend to elevate these commands instead of seeing Christianity as cosmic. What's cosmic Christianity? It's taking the commandments of God and holding them together. And you know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, 25, he says, hey, when I come, Are you caring for the least of these? That's something that matters to those who are hungry, those that are naked, those those that do not have a home. Sexuality matters. It matters to God. Sexuality is not a commodity. It's not something to be traded. And it's also, hear me, not an identity. God never says put your identity in your heterosexuality, your homosexuality. Put your identity in that. No, put your identity in me. Sexuality is an expression of who we are. It doesn't line up with who we are. And so what happens is we elevate one command 
And in the process, we ignore some others. So for example, let us continue meeting together. Let's work this out because culturally in our, our nation, we have churches on different places in that. And that's okay. It's okay. We're not going to agree on those issues. And some people say, we need to just open the churches. Our government is causing us to disobey God. And in disobeying God, we can't follow him, we can't lead him. What does it mean when in the Hebrew, in Hebrews it says, let us continue meeting? Well, I can guarantee you the writer of Hebrews is not thinking of this building. Because this building didn't exist when the book of Hebrews was written. What he was saying is he's thinking of Christians in their homes. And when you think of Christians in their home, back then you had 12 kids, right? How many families could you fit in a home? I mean, legitimately, maybe two. And he's thinking of two families gathered together in a home. And he's saying, do not stop meeting together. Meaning there are those people in your life that are drawing you to Christ, leading you to follow him, that are encouraging, that are supporting you, lifting you up. Do not allow this season to keep you from the people who are drawing you to Christ. Church, do not allow this season to keep you from the relationships that move you towards Christ. It doesn't mean all the churches should open their doors. That's called wisdom. Wisdom takes the commands of God and says, runs it through the grid of, am I loving God? Am I loving others? We live in a little town called Evergreen. We have a reputation in Evergreen. We throw open our doors, they're going to remember that. If you're in Los Angeles, if you're in New York, if you're in Chicago, they may not even think twice about what you do. Our reputation matters. Remember the last passage I told you? Consider how you walk towards outsiders. And then Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope. Now, not an answer for everything. He says an answer for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That in every decision we make, we consider those who are outside the church. We consider those who disagree. How is this going to reflect the witness of Christ? We take all of those commands together. We hold them together. And then by wisdom, meaning seeking God. So as elders, we seek the Lord. As, as Christians, we seek the Lord. How do we best engage in this season? And what I want to say to you is in this season, we need to pray for each other. And we need to pray for wisdom. Because we have truth. But what we need to know how to do is to take the heart of God, to take love for God, to take the ethic of God where he sends love towards those who are his enemy. And we need to allow that to saturate our hearts to such an extent that we're moving out in the world that, in a way that reflects Jesus. Not just in lifting up one command or two commands and saying, hey, these are the good Christians because they focus on these commands and these are the good Christians because they focus, they care about the poor, these people care about sexual ethics. It's not about that. It's about the king of kings and his heart for us, that we belong to him and everything matters to him. And when we move out to the world, realize he cares a lot about what unbelievers think. Now, you may not realize this because you were once an unbeliever. And how did he show up to you? He showed up as a person. He showed up to the Israelites as an Israelite, someone that fit their culture, someone that laid down his life, someone that, that spoke truth and grace and as the church, when we show up with truth, we have to show up with truth with skin on it and gentleness and respect. In the book of Revelation, there's this interesting moment where John says, look, the Lion of Judah, 
And when John turns, he sees the Lamb of God. And often as Christians, what we do is we move out into the world with this, this theme of power, real masculinity. No, we gotta be tough, we gotta be strong, we gotta be hard. We've gotta move out and we've gotta fight these forces. And yet when, when the Lion of Judah is revealed, he's revealed as the Lamb of God. What's the Lamb of God? The one who comes and absorbs. The one who is meek. What's meekness? It's power under control. It's power in the best interest of others. It's power towards self-sacrifice that rescues those who are broken and brings them into the light. We have to think in this season, as we go through this time, we're not gonna agree with each other and everything, that's okay. But we have to take the word and we've gotta take the whole counsel of God and we have to, we have to pray for wisdom. And I hope, I hope you're praying for us because we don't know what we're doing all the time. In this pandemic, we don't have the book. No one told us, hey, this is exactly what you need to do. And I've had some people, some of you have called me and said, hey, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, we may, may be. But understand, we're doing it because we love God and we love you. And we're seeking wisdom. The first thing we got to do, we have minds that are set on Christ. Now, quickly, two more things. We've got to have a will that's set on obedience towards Christ. So watch this. Verse 14, let's jump back into the text. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, he's talking to Gentiles, and he's saying, you used to live one way, and then Christ came into your life. Don't go back to that way of thinking, to passions that, that, that used to drive you. Don't find yourself in that place. And when you do, that should be a warning sign to you. Because, see, holiness does require moral conformity. It requires moral conformity because we have a father who loves us, and he calls us obedient children. Notice, notice the irony here. He's saying you're obedient children, but I want you to obey. Doesn't that seem a little strange? It's kind of like, I'm gonna call you who you are before you really are that. Don't give in to the passions, meaning I know you're disobedient, I know things are going on in your life, but here's how I see you. You're my children, you are obedient children. What does obedience look like? God often refers to us as children because really the heart of a child is trust towards his parents or her parents. When a child's in a place of disobedience, you know, they need to know their parents, their parents care for them. There's security, there's protection, there's love. And God is saying to us, because you belong to me, remember you're holy, so holiness is personal. You're also my children. I want you in this moment to trust me. And here's the reality, sometimes, Sometimes, and, and a lot of times, God asks me to do things I don't want to do. I don't want to forgive the person who's hurt me. I don't want to be generous to someone who disagrees with me. I want to give an answer for the hope that I have, and I want to do it with arrogance and anger. You know why? Because in the heart, sometimes that just feels better. And God's saying, no, that's not my way. That's not how I move out into the world. And I have to stop and go, you're right, because I am your child I don't belong to myself, I belong to you. I have been bought with a price. Father, I wanna honor you with my mouth. I wanna honor you with my mind. I wanna honor you with my attitudes. I have been set apart for you. Obedience is a part of holiness. But here's the last thing. It requires, holiness requires the mind. So church, in this season, we need to think, we need to get together and talk about the issues that we're going through. We need to have a heart and a will that is really devoted to God and obedience, but finally, it's the heart. 
a heart that's truly devoted to him. Watch this, verse 17. If you call on him as father, and here's the language, a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves, and here's the key word, with fear, throughout your time in exile. Again, this world is not your home. You're citizens of heaven. That's that term. And then he, he goes on in verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. And you were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so in this time, he's pointing first of all to the final day when God will come, will judge the nations. And he's saying, when I come, know that I'm coming as your father. Because here's a word we don't like often is this idea of the fear of the Lord. And sometimes people will see that word and they'll think, well, what does that mean? Does that mean to be terrorized by God? Does it mean to be just an abject fear of God? That when God comes, he's going to wipe us out or he's going to destroy us. And notice the language. He says, we're to fear God, but God is our father. And what I know about good fathers is, yeah, good fathers can be strict. They've got to hold a line. They've got to provide some parameters for their kids. But fathers don't destroy their children. Fathers don't set their kids up to fail. Fathers don't want to harm their children. They want to guide them, direct them, lead them. And he's saying this one who is coming on that day of judgment is, is your father. And when he comes, what he wants is he wants the best for us. Now, how do we know that? Well, that's where verses 18 and 19 show up. Again, if you jump back, because here's, he reminds us, hey, fear God. Who is this God? How do I know I can trust him? How do I know that I can lean on his, his ways and not my understanding? Because here's what he's done. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, and you were ransomed not with perishable things, silver, gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish, or spot. The fear he's referring to is the awe. It's the wonder. It's the amazement that the judge of the universe, the creator, is my father. And he has purchased me through the blood of Jesus Christ. And here's how Jesus described it in John, this interesting verse, John 17, 19. I hope you'll look at this later. In John 17, 19, Jesus said, Father, for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they might be sanctified. Now, to be sanctified means to be holy. And it's kind of unique. You know, why would Jesus say, I sanctify myself? Isn't he already holy? I mean, that's kind of what we believe, right? Jesus is holy, so he's saying, God, Father. And what's he about to do? In, in John 17, he's about to go to the cross. It's this prayer that he prays for us in John, beautiful prayer in John 17. He's praying for us, and he's saying, I'm about to leave them, Father. This is what I want for them. I sanctify myself so that they may be sanctified. What does it mean to be holy? Remember, it's personal. I belong to the Father. And he's saying, Father, I set myself apart. What's the opposite of holiness? Not evil. It's common. It's ordinary. Father, I set myself apart for you so that they may be set apart for you. Listen to the I sanctify myself. Father, I set myself apart so that they may be brought in, so that they may be your children, 
so that they may be one with you. Jesus set himself apart for us so that we might be set apart for God. Every time that the New Testament provides us a command, it also provides us a vision. And that vision is of the good news of Christ, the good news of the gospel. And it's only once we see Christ setting himself apart for us, becoming holy for us, setting himself apart so that we might be brought to the Father, does it move in us, in our hearts, in our affections, a desire, I wanna please him. I wanna live for him. I want the totality of my life to belong to him. See, to be holy, it starts with knowing who you are, but then it, it has to transform the mind. It's gotta get into our will and what we do. And then finally, it's gotta inspire and take awe in the heart that we are more mesmerized with what God has done, what Christ has done for us, that it moves us towards obedience. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that in this time, you've not left us without wisdom. You've told us that in difficult moments, if we lack wisdom, we simply need to ask. And so, Father, we ask for wisdom, wisdom in terms of how we engage in this cultural moment. Wisdom, Lord, that when we engage, we want to do so in a way that loves you, and because we love you, we love the things that you love and you love our neighbors. Father, you love those that are in darkness. You love those that were far from you and you brought them in by setting yourself apart for us so that through your sacrifice, we might belong to the Father. And so Lord, in this day, as we hold up our hope in Christ, may we do it in a way that reflects the gentleness, the humility, the truth, the holiness that comes from you. And Father, I pray for anyone here today that has never trusted you, never really said, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I come not with my works in hand or my identity or what I've accomplished, but rather I come simply by grace, forgiven through the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ. Holy Spirit, would you come in and renew those who pray by faith and cause us to become new and born again. And Lord, for those of us that are walking with you, would you in this season help us to think well, maybe turn off the television, to set our, our minds apart first for you during the day. And when we find that anxiety and frustration come up, we, we instead conform our minds not to what we're thinking in the moment, but to the likeness and into the mind of Christ. Father, guide us into these truths we ask. We love you. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us invite you guys to remain seated. Um, Vivian, you can keep playing. We're going to close with this hymn called Nearer God to Thee. And I just would invite you to kind of close your eyes and just invite the Holy Spirit to search those areas in our, in our lives that we still are holding on to and what we can let go of to draw us closer to Christ. A couple of announcements before she jumps in. Um, we are doing encounter later tonight. It's going to be very informal. Um, there's plenty of room to come tonight. We're just going to have a time of prayer. Steve and Joan are going to lead us in prayer, have time of just scripture reading and just seeking God's presence and drawing closer. So that's tonight at 7. And then um, she can bring up the slide. We're trying to bring some energy into September 20th. We're going to launch three services. We're bringing the kids' services back, 9.30 and 11. But we're going to have three services, 8 a.m., 9.30 and 11. Um, so we're excited about that to kind of get the kids' programs going again. And um, 
I don't know, finish strong in this season. I know there's light at the end of the tunnel, but let's just search our hearts and, and see where God can move us to draw us closer to him.